0: Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Again, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. And the word of the Lord reads, For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not Only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. for those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. This is the hope-inspiring word of the Lord. The apologist and author C.S. Lewis, the one who wrote... The Chronicles of Narnia once wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasure, he speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. I'd actually been the pastor here at First Baptist Church for three months when on Wednesday evening, January 30th, 2013, when my wife came home from a woman's Bible study with a deep Worried look on her face, and she said, "At ladies' Bible study tonight, uh, Paul had come in and told Brenda that he that she needed to come with him right now." And she said that he was very serious and that he had a very broken look on his face. And so naturally, I worried because Brenda was somebody that we really cared a lot about. She's she's been my friend even before I became the pastor. And it wasn't long after that that Diana Wise called me and asked me to go over. Uh, to Brenda's house because someone had spotted two sheriff's uh, department uh, vehicles there. And so I went, and when I arrived, uh, there were still a couple of deputies there, and when I entered the home, I knew something was horribly wrong. And when I saw Brenda, I could tell that her heart was shattered into a million pieces. But with tremendous grace and incredible strength, she calmly but quietly with a pain-filled voice, told me that her 23-year-old daughter Jennifer was killed in a car accident that morning. There are just things in the world that simply don't make sense to us. There are things in this world that defy explanation. There are things that happen to us and around us that take us by complete surprise. There are things and circumstances that happen in the world around us that can take the snow globe perception that we have of the world around us and of who we are and what we think the future holds and take that and smash it against the floor of reality into a billion little pieces. Losing a child is one of those things that can blindside us. It has has the power to hit your entire body like a sledgehammer. It can render you breathless. It has the power to completely overwhelm every single part of your life to the point where you can't even imagine what normal will even look like again. And it's the same with a cancer diagnosis or some other chronic disease. And it's the same when the spouse that you love so much and depend on so much simply tells you, I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be here anymore and then walks out. It's the same when you get the news that that your job no longer exists, especially if you've invested all your life in what you're doing, and you don't know how to do anything else, and you can't even think about how you're going to make the same kind of income, and your and, and your whole family is depending on you. It's, it's times like that the world might not make sense to you. And it's times like that we might even seem like, or we might even feel like that God has forgotten you, that God may have forsaken you. Especially when these overwhelming things happen in rapid succession. I know a woman who lost her mother and then two weeks later lost her father and then had another family member diagnosed with cancer. And she told me, it's like, I feel like I'm drowning. I can't even catch my breath. At times like that, it feels like that God is a billion miles away with no interest in who you are and what you are going through. And then you realize that God is sovereign and in control. Which means, if you put that puzzle together, that what has happened to you, God has allowed to happen. Which is more perplexing. I thought God was compassionate. God, I thought you were trustworthy. Why would you allow this to happen? Why did you let this happen to me? And there are times when we are hurting and when we are being swept under by the devastating circumstances of our lives. That we get to that place and we ask, how can I possibly trust God when so much has happened? How can I trust God when the entire world around me has been turned upside down? How can I trust God when it doesn't make any sense? Which is exactly what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about trusting God Especially, especially when it's hard. Especially when everything around us says you can't trust him. We're talking about trusting God even when, the, when in the moment there is no visible or tangible evidence in your life that God cares about you. And I think if there's an area in our life. I think if there's a place in our life that can bring us to our knees and shake us to our core. It's when one of those unexpected life events comes along out of nowhere and crashes into our little world and changes everything in an instant. And even as as Christians, right, we, we, we intellectually know, we fully know that we can trust God. We know that we can trust him because he's sovereign and in control. We know that he's trustworthy and he keeps his promises. We know that he is compassionate, which means he loves us. And wants what's best for us. We know this because the Bible tells us that. God's very own word says that to us. And we believe it to be true, but there are just times and circumstances where it seems we're so overwhelmed by what we feel that we lose sight or maybe even forget that we can trust Him. And like I said, this is what this series is about, trusting God in those times. Trusting God even... When the rest of life and circumstances seem to be screaming, you cannot trust him. And so in in the first week, we explored the idea that we can trust God when we fall down our faces and make a mess of things. Will God save me even though I keep falling down? And the answer is yes. And then last week, we explored how can we trust God when we find ourselves in need? Can I trust God to take care of me when I'm in need? And the answer is yes, God will take care of me of those that belong to him. And both of those are important subjects for the life of the Christian. Um, and if you weren't here in the last couple of weeks, I certainly want to encourage you to go back and listen to those last two messages and the website pages are on the on, in the bulletin for, for that. But this week, we're going to look at trusting God when your worst case scenario happens. Because there are things that can and do happen that are worst-case scenarios. In the last two weeks, we have lost two members of our community, and both of them were very relatively young, and they had young children that they've left behind. That is a worst-case scenario. Yesterday, I received a phone call from uh, someone uh, that, that's, that, that's a good friend of mine, and she told me about her cousin who's in the Army, who is now set to be married very soon to his 22-year-old old fiance who woke up in the middle of the night unable to breathe, and she stopped breathing, and they rushed her to the hospital, and she is now in a coma because they found that she had blood clots in her lungs. That is a worst-case scenario. There are people on my prayer list, and and there are people in our study group's uh, prayer list that have been told that they have cancer, and and one of them have been told it's incurable. There's not anything that they're going to be able to do for him. That's a worst-case scenario. I even know families right now, multiple families right now, they're falling apart because someone in the marriage just doesn't want to be there anymore. And hearts and lives and, and families are being ripped apart. It's a worst case scenario. Then I can go on and on and on, and I, but, I, but I think that you understand. Right? You, you've been in a place where everything might be okay in your life. And I'm not saying great. I mean, I'm just okay. But you've been in a a place in your life where you kind of, everything makes sense. You have your rhythm, right? You know what your family's up to. You know what your friends are doing. You know what your finances are like. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. You know what you're eating for breakfast the next day. Life makes sense. There's There's a pattern, a rhythm to it. And then out of nowhere, bam, you get blindsided and your whole world changes. And like I said, it comes in waves sometimes. Like one thing after the next. It's like you can't even come up from air. One thing after the next keeps hitting you. How do you? How do we actively hold on and trust in God when the worst case scenario that we can imagine happens? Well, the truth is the Bible has a lot to say about worst case scenarios. So turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin again in verse 18. And Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So notice Paul begins his discussion of suffering and difficulty by saying that the pain and the difficulty and the hurt and the suffering that we experience at this present time are not worthy even to compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us. What is he talking about? He's talking about Heaven. He's talking about the time when we finally escape this broken life and we finally are present with God. And ultimately, he's talking about the resurrection, which is our hope. When the new heaven and the new earth come together and we have our resurrected bodies and we will will live physically... In the presence of God forever. That is what he's talking about. And he says that suffering and the experiences we have here on earth. Isn't even worth comparing to that. In fact he says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4. For this light. Momentary affliction. Is preparing for us. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen. But to the things that are unseen. For the things that are. Seen or transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Which means your pain, as deep as it may be, actually can help you to understand that the glory and the joy and the hope that you will one day experience if you trust in Christ is so overwhelming and all consuming that this grief and this pain that you're experiencing right now will seem to be nothing in comparison. It will seem like a, a light, momentary affliction. Now, that's kind of a strange place to begin, isn't it? To tell somebody what you're going through is a light, momentary affliction, it's not worth comparing to the glory that awaits you. That's not the first thing I think of when I'm trying to encourage someone who's hurting. But here Paul is saying this. Paul says your pain and your suffering that you're experiencing here and now is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory that you can't, can't even be compared to. And in fact, I want you to, if you can imagine it this way. Just imagine your deepest kind of hurt and your darkest point in your life. If you could like build that into a skyscraper. If you can build that into a building that represents the magnitude of And and the power of your pain, you can stand and say, look, that's how big my pain is. Whether you build it to where it's the tallest building in the world or it it extends all the way into space. No matter how big that is, Paul is saying that what awaits you, the hope that awaits you for those who trust in God, that hope is so much bigger than then your pain that when you finally get to compare it side by side that it will disappear into the horizon where you can't even see it it won't even register now i want you to understand knowing this and hoping for this and believing that doesn't change the fact that sometimes what we're going through is horrific and gut-wrenching and and, and unimaginably painful But what this is saying is that no matter what your worst case scenario is, no matter what comes your way, you can trust God because he has promised and he has paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ, a very real hope that will completely one day overwhelm the grief, all the grief that you face in this life to the point that it will seem like it's nothing. Now, it won't seem like that now, but eventually it will seem like nothing and we can hope in that. That's the hope that Christ gives us. And it's not like, and I want you to understand, it's not like Paul doesn't understand what you're going through. You might say, well, but you know, Paul doesn't know me. He doesn't know what my life is. Well, Paul understands what it is to suffer. He understands worst case scenarios. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives us a little picture into the things that he's been through. He says, five times are received at the hands of Jews, the 40 lashes less one. That means his own countrymen, five different times, beat him with whips, 39 times. Three times, he says, I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That means they took him out into the field, and they threw rocks at him, and they kept hitting him with rocks until he fell, and they kept throwing rocks at him until they thought he was dead. Three times, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, Danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in, at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger, thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from from, from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul, he knew what deep pain was. He knew what anguish was. He knew what it was like to be betrayed. He knew what it was like to lose loved ones. He knew what it was like to be despised and hated and mocked. Paul even knew what it was like to be martyred for his faith eventually. Paul had shed oceans of tears for his brothers and sisters. He's, he shed Oceans of tears for his Jewish brethren who would not turn to Christ. Paul knew all about worst-case scenarios, but he never, ever lost hope. Why? Because he knew the worst things that could happen in the world. Of all the worst-case scenarios that come his way, of everything that, that the world threw at him, it was nothing compared to the glory that awaits him. Which helps us really to understand the big question, which is, what is my hope? Because that's the perspective that's going to help us actually get through our deep sorrow and pain. What is my ultimate hope? And the truth is, for those who are in Christ, our ultimate hope is not to live a pain-free, problem-free life. That is not our hope. Now, we, we certainly want that, right? We, we wish for that. We might even beg God for that. We, might, we pray with tears in our eyes for that. And when things go wrong, we certainly think that we deserve that. But our ultimate hope is not to live long enough to see all of our grandchildren grow up. Our ultimate hope is not to stay married for a lifetime. We hope for that, but it's not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is not to see that those that we love outlive us. Our ultimate hope is not to have enough money to live comfortably. Our hope is is not a pain-free, problem-free life. But instead, our hope is to be rescued. Our hope is to be rescued by Jesus Christ from this broken world. That is our hope. Because it's where we live. We live in a broken world. A broken world filled full of broken people. And it's broken because of the effects of Sin. When sin entered the world through creation, you know, Adam, who is our federal head and our representative, the entire world, all of creation was infected and inflicted with the effects of sin. That's why Paul says, For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, the effects of sin, not willingly, but because of him who has subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, creation itself points us to our hope. Our hope isn't to live a pain-free, problem-free life here and now. Our hope is to be set free by Christ from the futility and the bondage The corruption that we experience in this world. Our hope is to be set free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and from the presence and the effects of sin. Our hope is to live where brokenness and pain and sin no longer hold sway over our hearts and our minds and our bodies and our mouths. Our hope is to be permanently set free. And that's what creation itself longs for. We live in a fallen, broken world filled full of fallen, broken people where the worst case scenarios can and do happen. In fact, brokenness and worst case scenarios are really what we should actually expect in this world. We get surprised all the time, but we should actually expect for things to go wrong. We should expect at times that the wheels on the bus are going to fall off. We should expect at times that bad news will reach our ears. We should expect at some point someone's going to hurt us. We should expect that we're going to lose loved ones. We should expect or at least be prepared for the worst case scenarios that come our way. I mean, in a sense, we should really be wondering, why aren't more things going wrong? I mean, we who live in this country, we live in relatively safe, safety and, and, and comfort. We don't experience persecution. You guys came to church here not worried about who's going to see you come here. You don't come here to church worried that someone's going to kill you for your Christian faith. And I, and, and I know most of you say what's on your mind, which means you're not worried that someone's going to persecute you for what you say. And on top of that, we have plenty of food to eat. There's plenty of food to go around. We have abundant, clean water to drink. In fact, there's so much abundant, clean water that we're picky about the water we drink. We're like, I'm drinking that boron water. I'm going to drink that bottled water. We live in an affluent culture. I mean, we have coolers and air conditioners in the summertime. We have heaters in the wintertime. And then modern medicine like, helps people live longer than they ever have. Many diseases that used to shorten people's lives have been eradicated. And even people who have chronic diseases live longer and experience more comfort than ever before. Not to mention, the infant mortality rates are lower at right now than at any point in history. Which means that the number of people who actually experience the loss of a little child is a fraction, a tiny fraction of what it used to be. The truth is, we live in a fallen, broken world, but we also live in a time where we can still experience a lot of good. We live in an era where we certainly experience pain, but we also experience joy and goodness. Even though that that the world is corrupted by sin and death, we still experience beauty and love. We still experience friendship, Mercy, hope, and grace. And all of these things should help us to see, even in our pain, we can trust God because it's by God's grace that we can experience joy and goodness in this life in the first place. It's by His mercy. Because we go back to the beginning, mankind openly rebelled against God. right? And yes, The world was broken, but God did not completely turn man over into the darkness that he deserved. I heard a pastor talk about, somebody asked a question, so why were the consequences of sin so severe? And his, he's an old man, he says, what's wrong with you people? He says, these people rebelled against the living God, and the fact that he let them live and provided for them is proof that it wasn't too severe. The fact of the matter is, is He did not leave mankind in the darkness He deserves. Instead, He made provision for us. After Adam and Eve had sinned, God did not simply leave them out in the wilderness, naked and afraid. In Genesis, we're told that God sacrificed an animal to give them coverings, which is a symbol of two very important things. First, it's a symbol that God will take care of us and will provide for us, even when the worst happens. Second, it symbolizes our future hope of when God would one day sacrifice His own Son to cover our sins and provide us with the righteous robes we need so we can stand in the presence of God again, unashamed. And so in summary, we can trust God to get us through because our hope is to be rescued from this broken world. And God helps us to hold on to that hope by graciously giving glimpses of the good and the and the joy that he gives in this life while we still live here in a world that is still fallen and broken <clears throat> but Paul continues and says for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in in the pains of childbirth until now and not only the, the creation but we ourselves who have been, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in His hope we were saved. The fact is, the pain that we experience and the suffering that we endure as Christians actually points us to the fact that we are still eagerly awaiting something that we don't have. We're eagerly awaiting for Christ to come back and set all things right. We eagerly long for the time when we will be resurrected. And we will have glorified bodies and there won't be any more pain or sorrow or disease or strife or anxiety or loss of any kind anymore. I don't know if you've ever spent time thinking about that. To never, ever lose someone you love ever again. What would you give for that? Alone. And to never worry about things like cancer and Crohn's disease or 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 lupus or arthritis. Imagine when you've never ever have to experience or worry about being betrayed again, or let down, or left alone, or forgotten. We eagerly wait for a time when all that's a reality. Well, we can be physically present with God himself. Because that is our hope. Not a pain-free, problem-free life here and now. Our hope is to finally and permanently be rescued by Jesus from the ravages and the effects of sin. Our hope is the redemption of our souls, our bodies, and even creation itself. And Paul says, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The worst case scenarios in your life are reminders that you're not there yet. The fact is, is if we didn't experience pain in our lives, it could be very easy to fall into the sense that we are already where we need to be. Your suffering and your pain is a reminder that you have not fully realized your hope. And in the darkness of your misery and the darkness of your grief... And in the darkness of your broken heart. Though you may not be able to see it. Though you may not be able to touch it. There is still a hope. A hope that still exists. Brenda was asked shortly after Jenny had, uh, had died. By an atheist who would also lost a child. She asked, does it help that you're a Christian? And she said... Yes, it helps because Jenny was also a Christian, which means I know where she is. In the middle of her greatest possible pain, in the midst of her overwhelming grief, even though she couldn't see Jenny, even though she couldn't see heaven, even though she couldn't see the things that she's hoping for, she still believed in and trusted in that hope because she was trusting in the God who promised that hope. She took God at His word when He said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. She believed the words of Jesus that there are many rooms in her father's, in, in her father's house and that Jesus promises to come back for all of His people even though we can't see that home. She believed the promise that those who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. She believed in the promise that if you call upon the Lord, the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. She believed that God is strong enough and trustworthy enough and compassionate enough to make good on all of his promises. Our hope is not in what we can see. Paul continues and says, <clears throat> Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. As we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this is this is a text that many people over spiritualize, and uh, there's a tendency to take it out of context because there there are a lot of people who think that this is about people speaking in unintelligible tongues. Right? But that's not what this text is about. In fact, the context and actually the, the Greek language prohibit this interpretation. Now, um, I don't have time to completely unpack the theology and explain all these things here and now, but I have already prepared an exegetical Bible study that addresses this text, and I'm happy to email it to you or give it, anybody a printed copy of that. Just fill out one of those information request cards, put your name, contact information down, say, I want Romans 8:26 through 30 study. And I'll make sure you have a copy. But this is not talking about people speaking in unintelligible utterances. There are other texts that deal with speaking in tongues. This particular text is a promise. This text is a promise that God will be with you. It's a promise that God, the Holy Spirit, will intercede for you. It's a promise that, that when you were so broken and so broken hearted. And you're so lost in your grief that you can't even pray. And the Holy Spirit is with you and so intimate with you that he even knows and understands even your groanings. I want you to think about this. When you put your trust in Christ. God is so close to you that He feels your feelings. That He feels your thoughts. The Holy Spirit is interceding and He is pleading your case before God the Father, pouring out all the emotions of your heart that you can't even bring to words. God hears and understands your deepest emotions and understand. God is moved by your pain. He's moved by your grief. We're told that, that God is near the brokenhearted. And again, one of the most important verses in my entire life is the shortest verse in the entire Bible. John eleven thirty five. 35. It says two words. Jesus wept. And the thing is, what you have to realize is sometimes the English language does not communicate the ideas very well because that word in Greek actually means to hyperventilate. Okay? It means to full-on, like un- uncontrollably sob, which means Jesus sobbed, which means big fat tears ran down his cheeks uncontrollably and he cried out loud because of the grief of his friends. And what they were experiencing. And what you have to understand. He was there to make it better. He was there to raise Lazarus to to life. And give them joy. And and a new hope. But even then he still was moved by by, by their pain. He was compassionate to them. God is moved. By your broken heart. God is moved by your grief. God feels your pain. He fully understands. God the Holy Spirit is ever present within you. Communing with the Father. Telling him what you feel and what you need, even in those moments that you're so overwhelmed, you can't even pray. And then, and then, Paul gives us the wonderful promise in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all Things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The New American Standard Bible actually, I think, renders it a little bit better. I think it's a little more clear. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This here is the promise that I have anchored my life to. This is the promise that I've held on to that has helped me get through many worst-case scenarios in my Christian life. In fact, the theologian John Stott once wrote um, of this verse, he says, On this verse, believers of every age and place have stayed their minds. It has been likened to a pillow on which to rest our weary heads. I love that. Because it's a promise from God. God. That he will work things out for our good. And it's a promise that we find in this promise all the reasons we need to trust in him. Listen, it says, because it says God works all things out. You see, the the, the promise is built on the fact that God is sovereign and in control. You can, you can miss that, but, that's, but it's built on that promise. The foundation of this promise is God's sovereignty. God is, is powerful. He is powerful over all things, good and bad, joyful and painful. God has, is, is powerful enough that he can do what he wants to do, and he can take your absolute worst-case scenario, and he can work it out in a way that you cannot even possibly imagine that he can do. You can trust God because he is in control and he can work all things out. But I also want you to notice how Paul opens this verse and he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I want you to really understand and notice that Paul didn't say, and we believe all things work out. He didn't say that, that, that we, we think all things work out. He says we know We know it for a fact. In fact, the Greek word that Paul uses here is the word eido. And and, and this word means knowing or comprehending or perceiving. But really the root of this word is is the idea of sight. It's like I know something because I I have seen something. I, I know something because I've experienced something. In fact, one definition says that Ido is a gateway to grasp spiritual reality from a physical plane. Or in other words, what Paul is saying is is we know that God works all things out because we've seen him do it. We've witnessed it. We've experienced it. We've been in horrible, bad situations, things that we thought we'd never get over. And we've experienced the worst kinds of circumstances. And we have seen and witnessed God work things out for our good. We've seen God do amazing things. Even when everything was sideways. That's the idea. And, and the truth is, if you're a Christian, if you really have been someone who followed Jesus for any length of time at all, you will experience that too. What Paul is saying is, we know God is trustworthy because we've seen it. We know that God is going to work things out because we've seen Him do it. I know I've personally seen him do that. The loss of Jenny for Brenda nearly tore her apart. And it certainly had huge implications for the rest of her life. But she turned and trusted in God. And the verse that I shared with her over and over and over and over again, when we talked, because we talked a lot, is this same one. Romans 8.28. And we know for the, that for those who love God, all things work together for good For those who are called according to his purpose. And over the years I have seen God do just that. I have witnessed God transform Brenda into a strong, vibrant woman of faith. Who is on fire for the Lord. As she has leaned on God to carry her through. I have witnessed God use Brenda as an instrument in his hand. To pour into the lives of other people who have gone through worst case scenarios. Who have been able to, she's been able to bring hope to, to the hopeless I've witnessed her raise her grandson into a vibrant, healthy young man who loves Jesus. And now I see in her a strength and a glow and a hope that wasn't even completely there before she lost Jenny. God used his this tragedy and worked it out for the good of her and other people and continues to do so. Now, understand without question, if given a choice, she would have Jenny back right now. She would... Gladly have Jenny back this very moment, but it's not possible. An important thing to know is that God did not leave her or forsake her. God was with her every step of the way. God was with her, understanding her thoughts, grieving with her, working all things out, even the worst of her life. And finally, we to notice that God not only works all things out, but he He does so for our good. That's easy again to miss that. It's one thing for God to work things out. It's a whole other thing for him to work things out for our good. And he works it out for our good here on earth and also works it out for our good in, in, in the life to come. You can trust God because he is, in, he is compassionate. That's why he works it out for your good. He loves you. He wants what's good for you. Right? He is a good God. That's why we sing the song, Good, Good Father. It's a representation of his attitude towards us. He wants good things for us. And so he works all things out for good, even the very worst. Now, I understand that in the middle of your crisis that you may experience, and the pain and the grief, and in the middle of your worst emotions and feelings, That it could feel like that the circumstances around you are threatening to push you all the way under to where you might not think you would ever recover. And you might in that time ask, well, if God then is sovereign and in control, and if God is trustworthy and God is compassionate, then why didn't he just get rid of my pain to start with? Why doesn't he just get rid of my worst case scenario? Right in fact, why didn't he just prevent it from happening in the first place? He's God. He can do that. Why? And again, that's, that's a really good question. It's an honest question, it's a fair question. But, but the truth is on this side of heaven, we might not ever know the answer to that question. I know that's not a satisfying answer, but it's the truth. Because the fact is, we are not God. You're a tiny little speck on a tiny little planet, on a tiny little solar system, in a tiny little galaxy, in a universe that's 96 billion light years across that we can observe. And God is outside of all of that. Let's be... Be frank, we're not going to fully understand what God understands. We're, we're not going to have his perspective. We're not going to see what he sees. We're not going to know the things that he knows. All we can do is trust and know that he will work things out for our good and for those who love him. But what we do know is God did not simply put an end to our suffering in worst-case scenarios. But because, understand, God didn't leave us in our suffering alone. He entered into our Suffering. Jesus, God in the flesh, came into the world to live a perfect life that you couldn't live, all the while experiencing the hurt and the loss that you do. And then for nothing that he did, he was beaten to a pulp and then nailed to a cross where he hung for hours in agony, suffocating to death. And then Jesus finally died on the cross, paying the penalty for sins that weren't his. His. He died for your sins. He died for your brokenness. He died so that you can have hope that one day you will be set free from the sin and pain and loss and, and strife. And the worst case scenarios that plague your life. He died And he suffered so that you could be reconciled to God himself so you can love him and then be called according to his purpose so that God can work things out for your good in the first place. Jesus entered into your suffering for your good. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead to prove that your hope is certain. There is going to be a resurrection. And it proved that sin and death... And the worst parts of life have been conquered. And the day is coming where there will be no disease and no more fighting and no more being left and no more being forgotten and no more losing anything or anyone ever, ever again. And the resurrection proves that it's not a dream, but it's a reality. And you can trust God to get you through this and all other things that this broken world has to offer you. Now let's get really practical and I want to leave you with just four things to help you live and trust in God when the worst happens look with me to verse 31 Paul says what shall we say then if God is for us who can be against us if there's a verse worth memorizing that would be one of them it's the thing that you need to remember but not only is God with you. God is for you. God is not with you, watching you go. You know, sitting around being this referee, always like nagging you. No, He is for you. Right? If you love God, if you placed your hope and, and, and trust in Jesus Christ, God is for you. God is on your side. God is your advocate. God is your protector. Right? God is for you. He wants good for you. And then, and then Paul says in verse 32, And he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Again, another truth that you need to take and drive deep into your heart. God gave up his son for you. Okay? I want you to hear me. I love you all. I, I lose sleep because I care sometimes. I cry at times. I pray for y'all, okay? But I'm not giving up my son for you. All right. God gave up his son for you. In fact, the Bible says he was pleased to crush him. A thought that won't even fit inside my head, right? He crushed his son for you. And if he did that, how will he not take care of you? How will he not work things out for your good? How will he not see that you get through the worst parts of your life. And then he continues and says, You shall not, you shall, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or destruction? distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us in Christ if you are in Christ you are more than a conqueror it's a promise from god In Christ, you are an overcomer. In Christ, there isn't anything in your life that life can throw at you that you cannot overcome if you were in Christ, trusting in God. That is the simple truth. In fact, as Paul even says elsewhere, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I want you to know that verse is not about sports. That verse is about going through the worst parts of life that you can get through anything through Christ who strengthens you. And then finally... For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. 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 Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I want you to take that home. I want you to hold on to that. I want that to be the verse that you meditate on. I want you. To, I want that to be the verse that you go to sleep thinking about. Nothing, not your worst pain, not your darkest nightmares, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. This is the, a truth that needs to be etched in the fabric of your very heart. It is. If you belong to Jesus Christ, nothing can separate you from him. This is a truth that we should tether our soul to. Along with the truth that you can be sure, you can know, that for those who love God, he will work all things out for their good. And that you can trust him, even when it doesn't make any sense. Father, I thank you for this promise. <laughs> I thank you for the promise that you have a glory waiting for me that will far surpass the worst grief I could ever experience. I thank you, Lord God, that you have promised to be with me and to be so intimate with me that I don't even have to tell you what I'm thinking and feeling, that, that, that you know what I'm going through. I thank you for the promise, Lord, that my hope is secure in Christ. I, I thank you for the promise that you're going to work all things out for my good. I thank you, Lord, that you are for me and that you gave up your son for me and that I'm a conqueror, more than a conqueror through you and, my, and nothing can separate me from your love. Lord, you are certainly trust. You are certainly worthy of my trust. You are sovereign and can do all things. You are trustworthy because you keep your promises and I've seen you keep promises. And you are compassionate, Lord. You love us like a good father. Father, I pray that all this truth would settle in our hearts. Lord, we would store it up for the times when we go through difficulty. And that, Lord, we would store it up, Lord, so we would be equipped to go out and love on our neighbors and our friends and share the hope and help them to to reach out and receive that hope. That you'd raise up a people in this church who are bold, Lord, not ashamed of the gospel, who will go out and tell people about the love and the grace and compassion of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for that. And I pray, Father, you would bless and protect this congregation and meet everyone who needs to be met right where they need to be met. And I pray, Father, you'd bring all those that we're praying for, the healing that they need, and that those who are missing today, that you would bring them safely home. to Be back with us. I pray, Father, you're glorified in all this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet. At FBCboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.